I realize this morning uh, there's a number of different people that are here in this room. Um, maybe you're here and you're a guest this morning and this is the first time you've been here in our Trinity Church family um, or you started attending recently and um, you can just kind of feel the heaviness today, right? It's very evident that it's in the room today. Um, and you didn't necessarily know the individuals that are involved that were experiencing this sense of loss about. Um, uh, if that's you, my prayer for you would be that this is an incredible opportunity for you to glimpse into the strength of the church and the foundation on which we're built. And I hope that you are able to see that um, this morning how we grieve, that you're able to see the hope in which everything in our lives is built upon. That's our prayer for you this morning if you're our guest today. Um, I also realize there's other people in this room that have known Josh very closely um, over the years, that you've attended youth group with him, you have gone on trips with him, um, you have stayed in hotel rooms with him, um, um, which was always an adventure uh, like myself and those experiences I had with him. Um, and you, you feel a very personal, real sense of loss because you knew him very closely and personally. I know there's a high number of us in this room that that feel that hit relationally. And then there's another group of us here in this room uh, that um, might have not been very close with Josh personally, but this is triggering within us emotions of loss and grief and suffering. Uh, we're still going through the loss of our lead pastor, Pastor Tom. And uh, this brings up all those fresh emotion, emotions. Um, there's, there's people in our lives that are sick. There's people in our lives that are suffering. There's maybe a, a sense of loss or death in our family that we've experienced over the last year. And just the reminder of death and the power of death is triggering within us this incredible sense of mourning and suffering this morning. I realize that there's those of us in the, this room that are that way. That's where my heart is, if I'm honest with you. Um, Losing my mom a year ago, she's buried directly, literally she is in the plot directly next to Pastor Tom. This morning, as I was trying to sort through my emotions, I stopped across the street here on Henry Clay at the cemetery, and I'm looking at Pastor Tom's tombstone, and I'm looking at my mom's tombstone, and I'm trying to reconcile in my own heart the grief that is being triggered in my own heart. I realize that a lot of us are in that place, right, if we're honest with you, right? We're just beginning to try to um, cope with the reality of the loss of our pastor, and yet we're just reminded in another instance the power of death and the deepness of grief, right? And I don't know where you are this morning. I have no idea where you are. I have no idea what you're going through. I have no idea whatsoever, but I do know that we are worshiping a God that refers to himself as a wonderful counselor. And I trust that this morning that we will get a glimpse into what God wants us to reveal to us about himself. And my prayer for you is that the Spirit of God would be a wonderful counselor for you today. Wherever you are, that he would meet you in the way that you need him most in this moment, regardless of who you are and where you're from or what you're going through. And in Scripture, there's a passage in the, the book of the Bible in First Thessalonians chapter 4 where the writer Paul tells us that we are to grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And he infers a couple things in here. He tells us, number one, it's important for us to grieve, right? We don't avoid grief. We don't resist grief. We don't pretend like it doesn't exist. No, we grieve. 
Like we, we are to grieve, but the way we grieve is differently. We grieve with hope. And this morning, we're going to lean into a very simple passage of Scripture that is very familiar. It's very well known in a lot of different circles um, where Jesus has an encounter with the grave, and it's very personal, and it's very powerful in John chapter 11 with a man who has died called Lazarus. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to see how Jesus meets people where they're at this morning. And hopefully we will leave this place and we will begin to have a moment here at the end of the service. We're going to have a moment where we can pray for the Hurtwick family. We're going to have a moment when we can come together and encourage each other with the hope in which we build our lives on that we're going to talk about here. And we'll leave this place with tears still in our eyes, but we will leave this place with a grounded hope and a grounded strength and a grounded joy deep within our being that is unshakable. Because in the darkest moments when we look around us and we see a world that is um, hopeless, we see a world that is broken, we see mass shootings and disasters and death all around us, in a world that is filled with no hope and people are running from darkness, God has made a way for you and me to stand in the valley of the shadow of death and know with a shout, a shadow of a doubt that we are completely loved by him and that he wants to, in an incredible way, come with us through that circumstance in that season. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he will do some incredible things in our heart in a very powerful way. And in this text, very simply, there's just a few things I want to make some observations. This is in no way going to be a um, long, rah-rah sermon. This is going to be a simple look into the heart of God and what he talks to us here through suffering. The first thing you see here is when you see Jesus come to the tomb in John chapter 11, he's out doing ministry. He comes in to this situation. Obviously, Jesus himself is God. He knows what's happening. He walks into this situation, and everyone that he is friends with thinks that he's late. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him perform wonders. He's made blind men see. He's made lame men walk. He's risen people from the dead. And they knew Jesus had the power to do something. And it appears that Jesus is late. And all of his friends are standing there. Everyone's weeping. Everyone's grieving. Jesus knows the situation that he's walking into. He knows what he's about to do. Jesus walks into a situation of grief. He knows that he has the power to fix it, and he knows the purpose behind the grief. And the shortest verse of the Bible is found here in this chapter, and it says that Jesus wept. So we got to ask ourselves, if Jesus knew why the grief was happening, if Jesus knew the purpose behind it, which we oftentimes never know, right? We don't know why someone would pass away in their sleep. We don't know why someone would be um, diagnosed with a brain tumor out of the blue for no reason and dead with 30, within 30 days like my, like my mom. We don't know why someone would get pancreatic cancer and, with, if, and within a few months um, our lead pastor would be taken away. We don't know the purpose behind those things, right? And we struggle to find purpose in those. Jesus knows the purpose behind suffering. And he walks into suffering. He knows the purpose behind it. And he knows that he has the power to fix it. And what does he still do in that moment? He weeps. And we got to ask ourselves, why is that? And Jesus is a perfect example. 
He is a perfect example of what it means to be present. He's a perfect example. And he comes into this situation, and he realizes that even though he knows what's happening, and even though he knows he has the power to fix it, he enters into it, and he is present with us. And this shows us a couple of things that are very important for us to realize right now as a church family. Number one, it's okay for you to cry. It's okay for grief. It's okay for sorrow. It's okay for suffering. There is a misconception in the church that we have to always live on the mountaintop and we have to always pretend like life is great. And the Bible in no way, shape, or form says that. In fact, Jesus shows us that it is okay to enter into grief. It is okay for us to walk through grief. That is okay, right? So, so number one, don't run from grief. Allow yourself to be present in the emotions with people that are suffering. Allow that to happen. And the next thing that's very interesting that happens is even though Jesus had the power to fix it in an instant, he doesn't fix it. And you and me, when we see people that we love and we care about suffering, we oftentimes, our first inclination is to run into the situation and provide a Bible verse and a positive word and know exactly what to do so that we can fix it for our friends, right? Our hearts feel that way, right? We want to fix it. We just don't know what to do. And being somebody myself that has walked through, through grief, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody that comes up to you in a moment where your heart is ripped out and they feel like they have the perfect memory verse that is going to make your life totally better, right? You just want to punch that person in the face, right? Because they're trying to fix it. They're not present with you. So this morning, two of your pastors, Pastor Unhi and Pastor Dave, are on a flight to Las Vegas at this very moment. And you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to know what to do. When they come back, you're not going to know how to care for them. I would invite you to just pray for them. Be close to them through prayer. I would invite you to be available, but not overbearing, which means they know you're there. If they need you, they'll ask you. So you don't need to be pressing and prying. You don't need to be the rescuer for them, right? But you can be the body of Christ that is close to them, that they can rely on through prayer and if they need you personally, right? So you don't need to fix it. So you don't need the perfect memory verse. You don't need to text Pastor Dave and say, Pastor Dave, this is exactly, feel better, brother. Be encouraged, right? Because he's feeling something deep within his own soul that only God can repair right now. You follow, you tracking with me right now? And if you've gone through grief, you know that, right? Somebody else can't fix you when you're walking through grief. And Jesus enters into this moment knowing the purpose of grief and knowing that he has the power to fix it. And he doesn't fix it right away. He is present with them in their suffering. So I invite you this morning to be present with the Herwick family, to support them in any way that you can. Oftentimes it's just from a distance because that's all that we can do. But don't try to fix it because only God and the Spirit of God can care for them. So Jesus shows us one thing. The first thing he shows us is tears are important. Tears are powerful. Tears are needed. Empathy in the moment, entering into the suffering of somebody else is absolutely the right thing to do. The second thing he shows us, moving on in chapter 11, is he gets incredibly angry. He gets so angry. And if we're honest, when we go through grief sometimes, when whether, whether the loss of Josh Hurwick or Pastor Tom reminds us of another loss we've experienced in our life, if we're honest with ourselves, if the relationship is close enough, every single one of us gets angry when we walk through suffering and loss, if we're honest, right? At some point, we get angry. My mom was supposed to be our live-at-home nanny, and we have a little one that's three months old right now at home, and uh, we have a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of poopy diapers, if you've ever been there, right? Um, and um, 
And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. There's late nights where I'm up with my crying son, and I'm actually angry at God because my mom was supposed to be there with me in those moments to help carry that burden. And I get angry. And God, I, God does something in my own heart to re- make me realize something, and he does something here because you have to look and see what is Jesus angry at? What is he angry at? Is Jesus angry at a person? Is Jesus angry at Lazarus for not doing the right thing? Is Jesus angry at his friends for not doing the right thing? And we look here in the text in John chapter 11, and Jesus turns to the grave, and he looks at the grave, and he is angry at the grave. In fact, if you look at the words that he uses here, they're so incredible. Um, In fact, the Greek word, when you break it down, it actually means to quake with rage. And Jesus is quaking with rage at the grave, at sin, at the brokenness that caused the death to happen. And when we walk through grief, oftentimes one of the things that can happen is, is we get angry at the wrong things. We can get angry at somebody that caused the grief, somebody that hurt us. We can get angry at them. We can get angry at God himself for allowing this thing to happen. We can get angry at him. And one of the things Jesus is showing us is that it's okay to be angry, but allow ourselves to refocus our anger on the true cause and the true enemy. That there is an enemy that wants to rob you of the future that God has for you. And oftentimes, one of the greatest ways that he does it is through grief. He will take all that rage and all that that sense of loss, and he will want you to direct that towards God. He will want you to lose hope, lose faith, lose sight of what God has for you. He will want you to direct it at somebody else as an individual that has hurt you. He will want you to take all that anger and direct it in ways that will be unhealthy for you. And Jesus is saying, no, it is okay to be angry, but make sure you are angry at the right thing. Turn to the grave. Jesus says, I am going to turn this death. He says, I'm angry. I'm going to turn this death into a resurrection. I'm going to do something through this. I am going to bring out of this something even greater than that was there before. And that's the gospel, right? That's the gospel. The good news is that God doesn't make things better. God makes dead things alive. And he wants to work through that. He's always doing that. And that can remind us and allow us to reshape and redirect our anger in the right direction. The third thing you see is he directs his tears towards Mary in the beginning of this text, and he weeps with them. He's present. He directs his anger at the grave and at sin, the true enemy that caused it. Then he directs truth. He looks to Martha, and he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He looks at Mary and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings truth to where truth is needed. And this morning, there's a lot of different ways that we can look, um, a lot of different places that we can look for comfort, right? We can look to comfort in a, a number of different ways we can try to create a different reality. We can kind of do a number of different things to cope with the reality of grief. And Jesus actually comes to Martha, and he is the counselor that meets her where she's at, and he gives her truth. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't come to Martha and say, I'm here to comfort you. He doesn't come to her and say, I'm here to console you. He comes to her and he says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Through me, I am putting things back together again. I'm putting the world back together again. And in this moment, it's important for us to see that Jesus is pointing them to himself. He's appointing her to the truth that only he is the one that is putting things back together again. And whether we're honest or not, we all look to something to put our life back together again. We are looking to something or someone to resurrect us, to comfort us, to give us purpose and meaning and comfort, right? And oftentimes in moments of our deepest loss, in moments where grief is reminding us that it has such tremendous power um, in this earthly world, in these moments of deep grief, you can look at your life and say, what am I going to to medicate this? What am I running to? What's my initial reaction? What am I justifying? Where am I going to make me feel better in this moment? And oftentimes that in and of itself can be our functional savior. We're looking to something or someone to actually resurrect us. And Jesus is showing us here that he is putting the world back together again. So eventually one day there will be a moment in life where there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no grave, there will be no funeral services, there will be no cancer, there will be a day when that comes. And Jesus is saying that all of that is happening through himself. In fact, one of the things that's important for us to realize that is very helpful to me is that even this life and the tremendous grief that we feel is kind of like a, the Bible describes this, and it's in a number of different ways it's illustrated this way, like a bad dream. It's a bad dream. How many of you have ever had a bad dream before? Anybody? Right? Depending on who you are, the definition of bad could be different. Um, I personally have a disorder, um, of sleepwalking chronically, which means six to seven nights a week, I'm a crazy person in my sleep, right? Now, if I could find a way, if I could find a way to to do work and get paid in my sleep, then that would be awesome. But as of right now, I'm just a crazy person in my sleep. And uh, I have every story known to man of running around the house like a crazy person because my dream, I'm acting it out. And ever since my son was born three months ago, I've had the same dream every night, and I acted out every single night without fail. I wake up in a cold sweat because my son is underneath the covers suffocating, and I'm rummaging through the sheets every single night since he was born in a crazy person panic. And actually, so, it's so bad that me and my wife don't even sleep in the same room right now. Right? And it's not a marital crisis. Um, but we're the couple that when we go to a hotel room, we get double beds. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know you're past the newlywed phase when you go to a hotel and you get double beds. And all the married people said, amen, right? But there's a moment that takes place. It's so real to me. I'm sweating. I'm rummaging through the sheets. It's actually, I, I can start to begin to see what's happening in the room. I can see it. And I'm actually hallucinating that I'm seeing my son move underneath the sheets, and I'm ripping the sheets apart, 
and there's panic and sweat and craziness, and I'm running into walls, and then there's this moment where my wife will remind me, it's okay, he's not here, he's in the other room, we know better than to put him in a room with a crazy person, right? And there's this moment when my blood pressure begins to go down, life is okay, my son is safe, the nightmare is not true. And there's moments like this morning when you hear news of what you hear, when you walk through grief that you felt with Pastor Tom, and even in your personal life with people that you love and care about. And what Jesus wants you to know is that that's a nightmare that will eventually become untrue, that God will put things back together again. There's a really interesting um, story that illustrates this. I want to read a little paragraph from it. Um, It's a Russian novel um, by a guy named Dostoevsky. I know I probably said that wrong, but he wrote this massively long novel called The Brothers Karamazov, I believe, and um, it's literally like a thousand pages. You might as well just read the whole Bible, but it's a really great story, and your pastor actually, um, Pastor Dave, recommended it to me. I read it this year, After my mom passed away, he says this in the story. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human conditions will vanish like a painful mirage. He goes on to say this, listen to this, that in the world's final finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity and of all the blood they've shed, that it will make it not only possible, and catch this, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. That there will be a moment as a believer, because we put our faith and trust in the person of Jesus, there will be a moment that we look to in the future when God puts everything back together again, and we will wake up from a bad dream, and he will show us the beauty of what he was really doing. And this moment, that, this moment that's the hope that we have as believers. That's the hope that carries us through this. In fact, that's why Paul can say we grieve with hope because what other hope could you have if we take Jesus out of it, if we don't believe that he is resurrecting things, if we don't believe that he is putting the world back together again, what hope do we have to console our hearts with in these moments? What hope do we have that has conquered the greatest enemy we could face on earth in death? And Jesus is calling us to himself saying, have you put your faith and trust in me as the resurrection in the life? What are you looking to? And for some of us here, we might be going through a season and and death actually recalibrates our heart to ask the right questions. What do we really care about? What are we really living for? What are we really giving our hearts to? And this morning, this could be an incredible opportunity where God takes the death of Joshua that we have just heard the news of and actually brings to life something in your heart through the power of the gospel that allows the Spirit of God to allow you to see life differently when you walk through this place. That through death, God can bring life in you if you allow the Spirit of God to work in you this morning. What is God convicting you of when you think about what life is really about? What should I really live for? What do I really care about? What, am I, what direction am I going with my life? 
Lastly, the last thing we see is an incredible grace. The last line of this text is very interesting when you look in the story here in John chapter 11. It says the, that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, from that day forward, the Pharisees knew that they had to kill him. They saw a power that threatened their establishment, and from that moment forward, Jesus knew that he was on his way to his death. And in that moment, there was this incredible exchange that took place because Jesus knew that the moment he entered into Lazarus' suffering, the moment he raised him from the dead, he knew that he was putting himself in Lazarus' place and that it was only a matter of time before he would be executed on his behalf. And this morning, that is what's drawing us and compelling us that we serve a God that just doesn't cry with us, but he actually enters into the suffering, and eventually, after living a perfect life, he will lay down his life for us. And this beautiful exchange that we see in the gospel is found here at the end of the story of Lazarus. Jesus is knowingly walking to his death so that Lazarus and you and I can have life. And this morning, there's an incredible opportunity for us to look and lift our eyes to a God that is in control, to look and lift our eyes to a God that is not sleeping, to look at a God that has entered into our suffering and actually walked to the cross knowingly, taking all suffering and all sin upon himself so that you in this moment can stand with a joyful yet tearful confidence knowing that he has conquered the grave through his resurrection. And this morning, that can do something in your soul and allow the suffering that we experience in humanity to allow it to actually make us better and not ruin us and make us bitter. That there's something that God wants to do to shape you and mold you in this moment. And it can be an incredible opportunity for him to refocus your heart. One of the things that we're going to do this morning is I'm going to ask you all if you would stand with me. I'm going to ask the church leadership one of the ways that we're going to close this service. In fact, there isn't going to be a formal close today. We're going to have a time where we can corporately pray for each other, pray primarily for the Hurtwick family. Right now, they should be getting off a plane in Las Vegas. They're in a foreign land. They don't know what to expect. They're going to have to identify a body. This is a traumatic, sorrowful, earth-shattering moment for them. And this is an incredible opportunity for the church to be the church, to fight for someone that we love in prayer. And not only is this an opportunity to fight for them in prayer, it's an opportunity for you to fight and look to your rescuer Jesus with your own soul being evaluated. Asking God to do something in your heart, asking God to change you, help you refocus your life And allowing you to begin to allow his spirit, this wonderful counselor, to work in your heart in the same way we see in this text. I'm going to ask the church leadership if they would come forward. We're going to have a moment. In fact, you know what? I'm going to ask everyone, all of us. I don't know who's singing or doing the band or the guitar or whatever. If they could begin to just sing and kind of lead us in some sort of a 
corporate. Maybe Tony, if that's not an option, Tony can just play something soft in the background. I'm going to invite everyone at this moment right now, if you believe in the power, the resurrecting power that we put our faith and hope and trust in in the person of Jesus, and you believe in the power of the church to stand together and celebrate that, I want to ask you to just come forward all together. I want you to cram in here real close. If you're not touching shoulders with somebody, you're not close enough. In moments like these, in moments like these, we really see what the true foundation of our life is. And it can be an incredible amount of clarity for us that God, that God can take death and make life. That's the gospel. We see in a moment of complete and utter darkness, the person of Jesus gives his life for us. The world goes dark. God turns his back. He's being mocked by everyone. He dies a gruesome, horrific death. And everyone looks to him that was following him, and they wonder how in the world could something good come out of this. It was the most hopeless moment the world has ever known. And God does this incredible miracle, and he takes the most hopeless situation and creates an opportunity for the greatest hope the world has ever known to suddenly come into existence through the person of Jesus. And because we've seen him do it, we can trust that he can do it again today. And while we grieve loss, God can actually use this in an incredibly redemptive way to care for your own heart today so that the sacrifice that happened in the life of Joshua can actually be something that God will use and recalibrate your life so that there could be a day, there could be a day, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, when you will run into Joshua in heaven one day and you will treat him to lunch because his sacrifice was an incredible turning point in your life to allow you to refocus your heart. And I want to end with a quote this morning. I want to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis that your pastor, Pastor David, kind of used when my mom passed away and allow this to be your comfort. And after I read this, I want to invite you to gather with a couple people that you feel comfortable with. Um, maybe it's somebody that's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Um, just gather with somebody and, and pray with all of your heart for those that you love as they're getting off that plane. Pray for them, that God would comfort them, that God would be with them, that God would do something in them and for them that is beyond their own understanding and beyond their own strength, okay? You cannot, in your present state, understand eternity. But heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. God is in the process of turning every agony into an incredible glory. I invite you to fight for your friends in prayer this morning.